welcome to Quarantine Creatives. I'm Heath Rosella. One year of this podcast. Welcome, everybody. One year ago, May of 2020, this show launched. Here we are, 85 episodes later. And Scott Foley is my guest today. Scott was my very first guest on this show, so it only felt appropriate that uh, reaching the one-year mark, I invite Scott back on. and We talk about everything that has changed in our lives and everything that is still the same since quarantine began and, you know, everything in between, I guess. First of all, I just have to say thank you. If this is your first time listening, welcome. But if you've been here even for one other episode or 10 other episodes or 84 other episodes, this podcast would not be possible without people tuning in each week and listening to what I have to say and what my guests have to say. So I really, really appreciate everybody's support out there. And uh, this has just been a wild year. So thank you for everybody that has given me the opportunity to do this. Thank you to all my guests, all 85 plus of them at this point, more than 85, because a couple of shows have had two guests on them. But a big thank you too to Scott, who took a chance on this show. I told the story before. I think I told it in that first episode. But this podcast was kind of a half kernel of an idea just up in my brain. And I kind of imagined that it might go for a month or two. And on a whim, I emailed Scott Foley and I just said, hey, I'm thinking about this show. What are your thoughts? I swear it was within five minutes, maybe 10, but it was a very fast response. Scott wrote back and said, yeah, let's do it. And when you have somebody like Scott Foley saying, yeah, let's do it, <laughs> you, uh, you make it happen and you make sure that it's not a one-off. So I just, I feel so grateful that Scott said yes the first time and that that led on to so many other amazing guests. You know, everybody from Nick Offerman, Aaron and Ben Napier, Sarah Kenzier, Sonia Manzano from Sesame Street, Maureen McCormick, Mike Holmes. I mean, I've just had amazing guests sort of across the map and from every different facet of the entertainment and media space. Podcasters, TikTokers, seasoned TV anchors, directors, producers, Broadway talent, musicians. It has been a wild ride. It's been amazing conversations, and it's been a huge learning experience for me. So anyways, one year later, here we are. I got to tell you, it was weird talking to Scott again because I have grown a lot in this year. I've changed a lot. The physical space around me has changed, and I, I posted some pictures on my Instagram this week of just what this studio, quote-unquote, looked like a year ago versus what it looks like today. I'm very settled up in my attic doing shows. But there was something just in the five minutes before I dialed his number and you know patched him into this show, I felt like I was back in May of 2020, just not sure what this was going to be, not sure where it was headed, and... uh it's been a wild ride. I guess that's that's all I can say. And it just was a weird sense of deja vu talking to Scott again. But it's been a great year for him, as he'll talk about. He is the host and one of the judges of Ellen's Next Great Designer, which is streaming now on HBO Max. The finale episode is actually out today. And it's a fun series. So go check it out. I knew that Scott was a This Old House fan. That's how he and I first connected. But I had no idea just how into furniture he is. And he, he's a great host of this show. He's a great judge. It's a group of very talented designers from across the country 
that each week they have a challenge to design some piece of furniture and they have to build it and they get judged on it. It's, you know, it's Project Runway, but with furniture. So that was a really cool show. And when Scott and I had talked a year ago, that show had been put on hold and no one knew what was going to happen to it. They were able to shoot during COVID and make it happen. And it's streaming now on HBO Max. So go check out Ellen's Next Great Designer. And then the other project that Scott and I had talked about was The Big Leap, which was a pilot for Fox a year ago. And uh, Scott had flown out to Chicago kind of right at the beginning of the pandemic and was stuck in a hotel room (laughs) just trying to figure out, am I shooting? What's happening? That show ended up completing their pilot. And Scott talks about that whole process. Uh, And it's been picked up now to series. They got a 10 episode order and it will be coming this fall, I believe, to Fox. So look for the big leap. We're going to talk about that today. But Scott and I have connected over the past year or two uh, outside of this podcast. I have been contemplating just sort of what I want to do with my life and how I want to spend my family time. And this idea of RVing has come up, renting an RV or buying an RV or buying a travel trailer or something like that, and just getting out and, and seeing America. You know, Scott's kids and my kids are around the same age. His oldest is a little older than my kids, but then he's got two younger kids that are right around the same age as mine. And Scott and I have been talking a lot about RVing lately. So we have that discussion here on the podcast, but we've been trading emails back and forth and, you know, trying to figure it out. I'm going to be going on an RV trip in June and I can't wait to try it out. So it's just fun to catch up with him. He's a great guy. I really appreciate his time. And uh, it's been weird to think that we're 85 shows in and a year later. And I don't know what's next. Honestly, it feels like a weird bookend that as we're recording this one year show and, you know, having the same guest on that it all started with, I have my vaccine, my second shot of Moderna a few days ago, three or four days ago now. No side effects, thankfully, a little pain at the injection site, but, you know, no fatigue, nothing like that. Feeling good. And feeling like maybe in the next couple of weeks, I can get back out in the world and do stuff again that I've been not doing for a year plus now. So yeah, it's weird to think that we would have ever been in this for a year. It's weird to think we're coming out the other side. But it felt like a time to sit down and mark the occasion. So here it is, my conversation with Scott Foley. Hey, Hey, Scott. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing, man? I'm good. Thank you for making time for this. Uh, it's, of course. Uh, it's My weird. Pleasure. Yeah. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm just looking back at the calendar. This is, uh, we're like within two days to the year from when we talked last year, which is... It's so strange. I mean, it feels so long ago. And at the same time, I feel like we were just on the phone. Yeah. How has this last year been treating you? If I'm being honest, pretty damn good. You know, the whole lockdown of it all has been great for the family. You know, I find myself in a, in a fortunate position in that, you know, I saved a little bit of money and, you know, our industry was for the most part completely shut down. I was lucky enough to shoot a reality show during the pandemic. But aside from that, it's been, you know, there's been (laughs) no income coming in. We moved into a new house, moved across the country, but it's been a, a wonderful time of bonding for our family. You know, my kids are, so close with one another. We do, you know, Foley family movie nights and we have dinner together at the table every night and, you know, home cooked meals. Most of the time we order out occasionally, but it's been, uh, it's been kind of great, man. And I'm, 
going to miss all this time I've been able to spend with my family. What about you? Same thing? Yeah, no, totally. It's, uh, you know, we got to the weird place, like when everything shut down last year, last March, I guess, like my daughter was in school at the time. She was in a private school and they switched to Zoom classes and it was okay. You know, it was fine. Um, But then her school made the decision in August to go back in person. And we were still kind of weird about that. And weren't sure what we were going to do. And another parent in the class emailed all the parents and said, uh, I'm actually going to try homeschooling. So, you know, peace out. Well, hopefully we'll talk in a year. And my <laughs> wife and I kind of looked at each other and we're like, that's an option. <laughs> like we yeah. never thought that could even be a thing. And then, you know, like you said, our industry was shut down. I wasn't working and it was like, you know, I was doing this podcast, but like, yeah. I can do that. I can schedule it around other stuff. And so I've been my daughter's homeschool teacher for the last year, and it's been just awesome. Like my wife went back to where she works in a school. So she's been in person since uh, August, September. But so it's me and, and my two kids and my mother-in-law comes and helps. And yeah, just like that family bonding thing is just, it's awesome. Isn't it great how you get to know your children and, you know, you don't even, you don't even think like, you know, normal life. We go to work, our kids go to school, we, they come home. Then we come home, we see him for a minute if we're lucky, and then we see him in the morning if we're lucky. And that was just life. And I think uh, at least most of the people I've talked to have realized, like, wow, I kind of love spending time with my kids. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, good God, I'd love to get them out of the house sometimes, right? Yeah, I'd oh, love totally. for someone to, you know, they're, they're, of course, we're all human and that's normal. But, man, we've been so, I feel like we, we missed out on stuff before the pandemic. And this really showed us, it showed me and our family, at least that we like each other and we want to be around each other. You know, you know, I don't just go to work to support a family that I don't want to see. Like I want to be around these people and, and, you know, knowing that I've got work coming up, that's going to take me away from them for a a little bit of time here and there is, is a a big pill to swallow. Well, it's been interesting though, because like you moved your whole family to was it Prague, right? Like you guys, you went overseas with them. Like I just we did that. That could have been a thing when you were shooting Whiskey Cavalier. That like you could have gone over and just you know left the kids and family behind and you know popped over every couple months or something. But like I feel like that's sort of always been in your DNA. That like okay, we're all just going to move to Europe now. It has, yeah. And you know, I I credit my father and mother with sort of instilling that in me. We moved around. Uh, a ton uh, when I was a kid as a family. And we went from, you know, the States to Tokyo to Sydney, back to the States and, you know, moved a couple of times once we were back in in America. And it was, you know, that's just what you did. And I do have friends who are like, you're taking your whole family to yeah. Prague, you know, you're shooting a show over there. You're going to be so busy. And I said, yeah, but if, you know, uh, on the weekends or the, you know, days where I have a late call or I get off early, I want them around. I want to be, <sighs> I had a family because I wanted to have a family, yeah. you know, not because it was something that you sort of tick off your, you know, you check the box and, and, you know, Hey, I did that in my life, but I, I wanted to raise good people and, and have a family that I want to be around. And it's always been important to me. And, and I think you're right. I think for us, well, I know that Prague and our move there as a family was monumental. Yeah. Uh, and it, it opened our eyes to the fact that as a unit, we are able to do anything and everything and as long as we're together. And that was really important. And, and that gave us the, the impetus to say like, Hey, maybe LA isn't what we want to do and where we want to be. And we know we can make it in Prague. We can make it hell. If we can do that where we don't speak the language at all, we can be anywhere, you know? And, and so 
the move across country, while scary, just like moving to Prague, was was not nearly as anxiety-inducing as I think it would be for a lot of families. Yeah. What made you pick Connecticut? Well, my wife grew up on the East Coast and has wanted to be back here for a while. And, you know, I sort of had, I had a lot of conversations with friends and business associates. And, you know, for a lot of years, you sort of had to be, if you're doing television, which is what I do and where I make my living, you have to be in Los Angeles. But I've done it for so long and at a, a certain level, thankfully, that that I was able hopefully, to not be in L.A., but we knew we had to be within, you know, an hour of either L.A. or New York just based on what I do for a living and what my wife does for a living. And I Googled uh, best public schools within an hour of Manhattan Uh and Westport, Connecticut popped up and we flew out here, I don't know, five or six times looking at houses, checking out the schools. We liked the town. We liked the area. We liked the proximity to New York. I can go in for meetings or talk shows or, you know, whatever the hell I need to do for what I do. And, and it worked. And look, it's quiet. It's a normal life. There's not uh, a ton of crime. It's a great place to raise the kids where they can go for walks or bike rides. They can be in nature. They can be around friends. There's good family values here. You know, look, if I, if I was to, you know, draw it up again, I'd love for there to be a little more diversity here. Sure. Um, you know, we're in Fairfield County and, and it's not, uh, you know, it's not Manhattan or the Bronx or Brooklyn uh, or even L.A. for that matter. But, you know, L.A. was segregated in its own right. You know, it's, it's a large city with a bunch of different neighborhoods and, and they're all sort of somewhat segregated. But that all that said, I'm very happy with the choice we made so far. Yeah, um, we've talked a little bit uh, just by email and stuff about the move cross country. I mean, like I'm fascinated by it because you guys rented an RV and took some time to make it across. Tell me just about that experience. Man, oh man. I was uh, I grew up with an RV. We had an RV in our family and okay. we'd go on drives up and down the East Coast. So I was fairly familiar, but but Marika, my wife, had never done it before, was terrified. She had never really been anywhere in the United States aside from LA or New York. Yeah. You know, she knew that that there was country there, but <laughs> didn't know anything about it. Was kind of scared of it. All I had to say, have to say is that my wife now wants to buy an RV. I mean, <laughs> she loved it. And we, you know, for the kids' spring break this year, we rented another RV and drove into Pennsylvania, found a, a great RV park campsite and uh, stayed there for a week. We love it. And it's just another time and another way for us to be together and bond and hang out and experience new things and get out into nature. And the kids like to fish and, you know, we've taught them all how to cut firewood and start a fire and cook bacon in a, you know, cast iron skillet over it. And, and it's just great. And, you know, they also love closing the door in the RV when it's raining and listen to the rain on the roofs while they watch their iPads and oh, Marika yeah. and I take a nap. It's great. So I'm, we're looking, we're in the, in the market for a, a new RV, you know, un- unfortunately like home prices, RV prices have skyrocketed. So we'll wait a little while, but um, it's, uh, it's in the future. Yeah, uh, that's a that's an interesting leap for me that you're willing to go from like renting it and you know trying it here and there to actually owning one. Like I don't, there's something about just like even the winterizing piece and stuff that kind of intimidates me. Yeah, you're you're probably more pragmatic about that than I have. I haven't even thought about winterizing the damn thing. <laughs> um, I, I uh, yeah, look, I, I think there's something great about you know, hey, we'll just rent it for this weekend, then we got to drop it off. But if you've got it and it can here there's not a whole lot of planning you have to do if you're able to keep it on your property yeah you know pop out for a night go for a weekend hey what are we doing this weekend we got no plans all right the 
you know, we already got our shoes and toothbrushes in the RV. Let's just go get up and drive somewhere. Or, you know, look, it's also a great thing if you're going to a football game or you want to, you know, just pop a bunch of people in that thing. You can tailgate. It's a, it's a really great option if you've, uh, if you've got the opportunity, I think. Yeah. Does, is there anything about the size of it that like becomes problematic as if, you know, with five people in that tight of a space, does that, does that get old? Yes. Or, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, does it get old? I'm not sure it gets old. I think that's part of the allure yeah. of it. You know, everybody's sort of crapped together. My, my wife, loves to tell a story of my my nine-year-old who was very sweet but also very serious and the first night we were driving across country in the rv he, he looked at us we were getting ready for bed and unfolding you know couches to make them into beds and there's something boiling on the little stove and he just stopped and looked at my wife he said we're living like savages <laughs> <laughs> um you know god help me if we ever actually have to pitch a tent somewhere right you know it, is there something about the size yes but we rented a 30 foot RV yeah. uh, and now it didn't have uh, a pop out um, like a lot of the, the new ones do now, but we're actually thinking of going smaller and getting like a 24 or 25 footer because it's a little more mobile. Yeah. You can get places better. Now we wouldn't of course have the space. It'd be hard to take all the dogs with us every time we go, but there's, there's something about, I've always been uh, attracted and, and sort of in awe of mobile homes, whether it's a, a boat or a, an RV or a camper van or, you know, I think there's something so interesting. I love the idea of a rooftop tent yeah. on my pickup truck, you know, yeah. or, or putting a camper shell in there and sort of building it out. I'm, I'm fascinated by that. And I know this, you know, van life hashtag has sort of popped up in the past few years, but I've always had a, an attraction towards a sort of alternative living. And, and for us, this is a, a way to, for me, it's a way to do it and not have to do it full time, you know, to, to have it there when you want uh, everything's sort of compressed and you've, you're only taking what you really need and, and there's not a lot of room for extras, which I don't know about you, but having kids and dogs and a wife and a house where with closets, like we're just full, Yeah, uh, right. you know, like I try to throw stuff away and there's more Amazon boxes on the doorstep. <laughs> I just don't understand it. And my wife and I have that conversation all the time and she's like, but we need it. We might use it sometimes. And I'm thinking, Christ, do we really need 12 more of these glasses or more plastic plates for the kids mac and cheese it just doesn't make any sense uh but i love the idea that, that there's something very minimalistic about it and, and you can put it all on one chassis and go wherever you want and really stay out there kind of indefinitely if, if need be yeah. you know maybe i'm a, a a closet doomsday prepper but there's something interesting to me about that yeah no i totally agree and just as you say that that ability to pick up and go and you know we had talked you know i was looking at a travel trailer at one time and you yeah. were kind of the one that got me <laughs> closer to an rv we're renting one uh, next month i guess and doing a whole thing up in maine but like uh... yeah it, it's gonna be awesome but like you were in particular somebody that was like well, you advocated for an RV, I'll say, and and made me think about that differently than, you know, some other people I talked to were big travel trailer people. Like, there is something in my head, at least, and I haven't done it yet, but that I like the idea of, like, it's all one thing. Like, you don't, you're not stuck in a car, and then you yes. go camp somewhere and get out. You know, like, the kids can kind of move around, and, you know, you've got everything you best. need right there. Yeah. The, the kids, I mean, literally, the kids will take naps while we're driving in the big bed or the overhead cab or... I'll be like, hey, babe, how about a peanut butter sandwich? And she'll get up and she can, you know, from the driver's, from the passenger seat and make a peanut butter sandwich and hand it to me and we can keep driving. For me, the journey is never about the destination. It's right. all about the journey and it's about the time 
en route, you know, because that's where you really spend the most time getting to wherever you're going. You know, if you're driving to Maine, it's going to take you a few hours to drive to Maine from where you are. You're going to be driving around different spots. And, you know, like you're not the kids aren't stacked. I have three kids. There's, you know, in my pickup truck, they're stacked side by side. Someone's always fighting over who's in the middle, who's not in the middle, sure. who's got the window, who's behind mom, who's behind dad. It's the ridiculous arguments you have. But when you're in a in an RV, regardless of the size, you know, look, my my six year old can go to the toilet. While yeah, we're driving, it's right there. And it's fantastic, you know. Instead of navigating, especially during COVID, a, a bathroom at a shell station or something where you got to not touch everything and make sure you bring a wipe down, like it's just a pain in the butt. So having your own thing, literally a pain in the butt. So having your own thing there is is great. Yeah. What are you thinking? Are you thinking about? Are you still thinking travel trailer? Because I see the appeal of that as well, right? There's something great. One of the problems with RV is I think, and I wrote this to you in an email, is you get to a campsite, you plug in, you unload all your stuff, you put the stuff on the counter. If you're not towing a car behind you and you need to go to the grocery store or you want to go see a site, a cave, something near you, or you want to go to play mini golf, you got to pack everything back up in the drawers, take it off the counters, unplug, Mm -hmm. you know, unhook everything and then get back in. With a travel trailer, you don't do that. You unhook your car and you go wherever the hell you want. Yeah. No, I mean, I we're going to rent it, you know, next month and kind of see how it goes and take it from there. You know, there, there is a, there's appeal to both sides. I mean, cost on the travel trailer is, is a big one. I mean, just you can get one. So much better. Yeah. So much cheaper and just, you know, take it anywhere. But yeah, I don't know. I, I like the idea, as you say, the, having the journey be a part of it. There's something yeah. just really nice about having the kids, you know, just thinking of them kind of on those couches or sitting at the table, you know, and not being stuck in a car seat in the back seat. Just like, you know, are we there yet? <laughs> but I can't wait to freedom. hear what you think. You're, yeah. you're, I'm so excited to hear about your experiences. And I'll tell you, there, there was, we were driving home from our spring break trip and we were stuck in traffic coming, uh, trying to get through New York City. And we're on the 95 uh, freeway and just bumper to bumper. And I've been driving for four hours and I haven't pulled over and I've got to use the bathroom. I literally put my hazards on, pulled over the shoulder <laughs> on the freeway, Yeah, pop back, use the bathroom, came back in, got back into traffic. It was great. Yeah, Not looking, not looking for a, you know, a rest stop or a gas station. There's just something to be said for it. But I understand both arguments and, you know, I, I've always had an affinity to get a, like a cool Airstream trailer and, totally. and, you know, tow it behind, or you could have it as a, you know, in your driveway as a guest house or you lay a concrete pad down and it's always sort of there. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm up for both. I'm curious too, just like we've talked about RVs a lot. I'm, I'm surprised sort of the other people in entertainment that I've connected to on this subject. I've talked to, you know, three or four guests on this show that I've been able to go back to uh, and be like, hey, you know, sort of like I did with you, just like, I'm thinking about this. Where did you go? There's one lady that I talked to that, like, she had mentioned the town we were going to. I'm like, this is the campsite we're going to. And she wrote me back, like, you know, look into campsite one or 11. Those are the two best ones. Avoid four, five, and six. You know, like, I'm curious, like, just your... (laughs) you know, your relationships in Hollywood and stuff, like have there been, is there kind of a, a secret RV community that you found in the entertainment world? I have, it's a funny question. I haven't, I know about a few actors here and there who, uh, I know Dax Shepard, for instance, yeah. has an RV, has a big uh, motor home, but he's a, he's a big off-road guy. So I think he tows maybe a, a Polaris, like a, an off-road vehicle or something yep. and goes to the dunes and does that. Um, but I don't know about a lot of people who do it. Now that, that being said, I remember, you know, there are the occasional 
um, the lead of a TV show or a long running TV show who will buy, you know, we have trailers on set, right? Sure. So when you go on location, um, who will buy their own Airstream and sort of retrofit it and, and make the production rent that out from them as their trailer, but not as a, like a vacation thing. It's sort of a business investment quality of life thing. Sure. Just while um, you're on for, set. For being, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But I'm not, you know, there's sort of a stigma. Um, if I'm being honest with you about RVs and motor homes and yeah. RV parks and, and that I, that I don't think goes hand in hand with the image of Hollywood. And I get that. And I'm kind of okay with it. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. And I think we might've had that a little bit, even though I grew up going to RV parks with my family, my wife definitely was like, what kind of people are we going to see at these parks? Sure, like, are, yeah. are, and Sometimes she's right. That that stigma is there for a reason. You know, there there's you see people <laughs> that that you wouldn't usually interact with. But I kind of like that. You know, that there you get so isolated, regardless of uh, what you do. What, you know, you're around the same kind of people that you are for the most part. Sure. But to go out and experience different cultures, different organizations, different groups, different kinds of people. I find it fascinating and interesting and, and I'm always, you know, my wife's like, don't talk to them. I'm always the guy like, Hey, what, uh, what you got in that rig? What's that? Is it fish? You know, I'm, I'm the inquisitive guy. Yeah. And maybe it's, it's unfair. Cause I don't know, seven times out of 10 people are like, Hey, yeah, you're the guy from TV. So it's an, it's an easy in. Right. But I, uh, I don't know. I, I like learn. And you know, sometimes you're like, okay, not going to talk to that fool again. Right. Um, but, 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 you know, more often than not, you strike up a conversation, you have something in common, or at least there's a, there's room for talk, you know, yeah. you're both doing the same thing yeah. and it's, um, there's a, a mutual appreciation. Yeah. That, that stigma piece is, is in my mind too. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, even like in looking at campsites, like, you know, what are the ones where you're stacked right on top of each other versus one, yeah. you know, where there's trees and stuff. I'm like, I kind of want one with trees more than just, of course. You know, a guy Look, and we stayed at them all. Yeah. We stayed at, at one in, in Las Vegas that was just a parking lot, you know, and it was 114 degrees and we didn't get out of the day. You know, you couldn't barbecue anywhere. Yeah. Um, and then we stayed at ones in Pennsylvania or Wyoming where it was, you know, next to a beautiful river and the sunsets were gorgeous and the kids got to run in this tall grass and uh, take their shoes off and, you know, look for rocks or chase tadpoles and it, you know, it runs the gamut. So I think, you know, we, we went to, we were so excited to go to Mount Rushmore. Oh yeah. Um, and, and we did, and we stopped there and it was the height of the pandemic and there must've been 3000 people at this damn campsite. Wow. It was insane, but everyone was friendly and for the most part, respectful about mask wearing and social distancing and everyone understood what was going on. Have you ever been to Mount Rushmore? I haven't. No. Smaller than you'd think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, you think about it, it's a mountain with faces carved on it. You know, right. uh, we got there and I was like, Oh, look at that. It's, uh, it's like the size of my house. It's yeah. not that big, huh. you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I've been to the, uh, the Eastern part of South Dakota, but never, uh, never that part. Um, cool. Well, I, I want to ask you about some work stuff too, because it, sure. it's funny, like in looking back at the notes from our last conversation, there were these two projects that were both kind of stalled for COVID that we talked about. And now they're kind of both, you know, one has happened and one is, well, I guess both have happened, but one is in the process of airing and one's airing right now. Um, yeah. So uh, Ellen's Next Great Designer was kind of, you know, one that we talked about and had been in the works. Like, how did that kind of resurrect? What was the process around that? You know, it was interesting because of, of the shutdown. 
we weren't sure how we were going to do it. It, it. it came about, and I think I might have told you this, but Ellen uh, and I have talked at length, not just on air, but off air about our, our love for home renovation and, and design. And uh, I think when she was putting this project together, I was the right fit and, and her people reached out and I was so excited to to be a part of this. Although it's a little nervous, if I'm being honest, never yeah. having done reality television and always being able to not be Scott Foley. I can always hide behind a character and right. other person's words. So th- there was a, a little hesitation on my part about like, Ugh, people are actually going to get to see me and am I okay with me? And you know, all the, all the questions about that. But, but the, the main issue was shooting a, a reality show, a competition reality show during COVID. And as you know, I'm, I'm sure you've seen either project runway or top chef or any of these, you know, blown away any of these uh, competition reality shows, they take all the contestants and you fly them out to one location and you put them in a, a warehouse and give them challenges and they all compete around each other, yep. uh, building these projects or making the food or the dresses, whatever it is. And, and we just couldn't do that in COVID it, for a multitude of reasons. But the main one was safety and, and getting everybody together for an extended period of time uh, in one location. Um, and the producers came up with an inventive way of doing the show. We, we were able to deliver the projects or the challenges to the contestants via Zoom. Yep. And we allowed them to, within a specific time frame, uh, complete the challenges in their own studios, in their home workshops, basically. Gotcha. Uh, and then to do all the sort of connective tissue, the you know on-air delivering of the challenges, the judging, um, the voting off, we then flew everybody to L.A. Uh, for like 10 days instead of having everyone together for, you know, yeah. two months doing it. Uh, so it worked out really well. And, and I, I'm so proud of the show, I have to say. Yeah. I, I surprise myself when I say that, but I'm so proud to be a part of it. I think the the designers are all so good at what they do. I mean, it's what they do for a living. It's what they studied to do and trained to do and working with their hands and uh, the craftsmanship that they bring to it and, and the, the, I don't know, the artistic vision that they all have and the way it plays out on the show and the way that the producers and the director have edited and cut the show together. I think it, it, it's really high quality. You can see that they spent the money and and I'm, I, I think the designs, I think people are enjoying from what I've heard and read online, people are really enjoying the show. Yeah, no, it, it's phenomenal. And, you know, I, I was surprised, like the having everyone in their own workshop felt really cool and authentic. And I, I yeah. was I was curious if that was a COVID adaptation. And so the, the original pitch was like, it was going to be a Project Runway type thing where they're all together. Exactly. Exactly. And look, we've done a good job of creating some drama within each of their own workshops, right? Sure. Whether it's time constraints or material issues or construction problems, but you do lose a a bit of conflict and drama when you don't have everybody in the same room, when they're not all looking at the same clock and all looking around the room and seeing where they are in relation to other people's or how their project stacks up in relation to someone else's. Right. Yeah. You, you miss that a little bit. And, and you also, uh, I take the, the first challenge, for example, where we delivered slabs of wood and huge pieces of stone and they had to choose one slab of wood and one stone and make something out of it. I think if everybody had been in the same space building that, I don't think we would have ended up with three cantilevered, wood slab tables on the sure. rock, yeah. right? You know, I think that someone would have said, oh, there's two other people doing it or someone else is doing that. Uh, but because they didn't know what the other was doing, we got three cantilevered slab tables. Yeah. But, you know, aside from that, I think it played out really well. Yeah. It's interesting too, like in having them in their own space, 
they're able to call on their own subs. So like, you know, I know this great metalwork guy, he's going to fabricate this for me or, you know, uh, inflatable <laughs> uh, vendor, right. or, you know, just there are things that you probably couldn't have done had they all just been in one soundstage and were kind of limited to what was in front of them, which I found I really agree. compelling. Yeah, I agree. And I think it made, made the, the, uh, the outcome of their, their uh, pieces better. Yeah. Um, there were portions uh, that were actually shot in your house. <laughs> like, what was that like just, you know, during COVID and, and having a crew come out and, you know, just, I don't, I, I don't like having crews at my house. I've, I've done it a couple of times and uh, I hate it. Yeah. If I'm being honest with you, sure. I hate it, but I, I understood uh, what we were doing, what we were trying to do. Uh, I understood the necessity for it. Yeah. Um, and I was happier to do that than put myself in a studio somewhere mm. uh, in an, you know, an unfamiliar place. Now, look, we, I think I joke with the, the nurse who comes to my house or the, the, person I do it online with, I think I've had something like 47 COVID tests, Yeah. right? Be, because when you're shooting this, everybody who comes into my house had to be tested two or three times prior to arrival, as did I. You know, everybody's wearing a mask. They've got booties on. They've got gloves on. It's a, it's a whole thing. And the crew was really stripped down. When we were here, there was a camera guy, a sound guy, and a producer director, you know, only three people really. Wow. And they, they, they did all the lighting. They set it all up themselves. We connected to you know, put a camera on my television so you can see the TV, the zoom screen on my TV. And, and, you know, we did all that ourselves and it, it worked out really well. You know, it's unlike what I'm sure you and I are usually familiar with when you have a crew come into your house, if you're shooting a TV show or a commercial, there's 30 to 50 people yeah. and they, as respectful as they want to be of your property and your walls, something's going to get damaged. Yep. Because the the main goal is getting the shot, right? Getting whatever you need. And it's not necessarily looking after the house that they're shooting in. <laughs> and I understand that. But I, I, that was not the case here. And, and I'm, I always advocate to anyone who's like, hey, I can rent out my house for 10 grand for a commercial for two days. I'm always like, don't do it. Yeah, don't do it. it. <laughs> you know, not worth the hassle. Your wife is going to be on your case because she can't be in her kitchen, you know, or where it's just a pain in the butt. But but this worked out OK. And and you know, COVID sort of gives you that exception, right? You got to do what you got to do. Yeah, totally. So the LA portions, you were saying those are all kind of stacked. Like, mm -hmm. did you, had the judging happened virtually or like were, were all contestants doing all the challenges and then not knowing if they were going to be eliminated? Like, how did that That's exactly right. So every contestant did every challenge except for the final. Wow. And so, you know, Alejandro, who unfortunately is so talented, but was voted out first, yeah. he had made six other pieces that we wow. just never got to see because he was voted out. So we, they made all their pieces. Uh, we flew them all out to LA. I had never seen them before. You saw me see them on camera for the first time, even when we're in the studio and they're walking out to be judged. Yeah. The piece is to my left and I'm doing everything I can to make sure the lights are off and I'm not looking to my left to see their piece before they tell me about it before I, you know, I'd see it on camera for the first time because I wanted that reaction, whether it's surprise or disappointment or, you know, indifference to be legitimate and real for the audience at home seeing it. And, and I, I felt that uh, the viewer deserved that, as did the, the contestant who was being judged. Um, I thought it was the only fair way to do it. And, and so what you're seeing uh, when it comes to us evaluating the piece and judging it uh, is real. Wow. Yeah, that uh, for you and, and this show in particular, like it feels like it's so tough to judge because it's it's so subjective and 
the briefs are so broad, you know, like you watch like the British Bake Off or something and it's like make a chocolate cake and everyone's going to have a riff on it. But at the end of the day, it's a chocolate cake. Whereas like you're judging, you know, one contestant has a lamp, one has a table and one has a chair. And like, I don't even know how you begin to to evaluate those, you know, comparatively. It was really difficult. And, And what you don't see are the 15 to 20 to 30 minute discussions that my two co judges and I had about each piece. And the, you know, we come from completely different places. Fernando Mastrangelo is a, um, an artist and a furniture designer himself. Bridget Romanek is, is a, a, an interior decorator. So knows furniture, knows what works in different spaces, uh, knows how things will look. And I'm just a guy who kind of likes to build furniture and sit on it, you know? Um, (laughs) (laughs) so uh, we all come at it from different angles and we had a really hard time judging it and making our, our, our subjective, opinions valid and heard to one another. And, and I, I got in knockdown screaming battles with these guys sometimes because they would say, but it's not art. And I'm, you know, I would say, but it's furniture, yeah. you know, art furniture doesn't always have to be art. Good design doesn't mean always that it's just beautiful to look at. Good design can be a normal couch. You think until you sit in it and it's so much more comfortable right. than what you expected it to be because they've added you know, an inch and a half to the the depth of the couch, or they've dropped the arm two inches or whatever the hell it is. That's good design to me. And we'd also have conversations uh, where they'd say, you know, what would you pay for that? And I'm like, 400 bucks. And they're like, that's that's $7,000. I'm like, you guys are fucking insane. There's no way. I'm so glad we had that. It was really difficult at times to try to get as I'm sure it was for them to to try to get our voices heard and understood because we're all coming at it from such a different place. But ultimately I think that's what made it good and honest is, you know, it's two out of three majority rules and you know, you, you can't argue with that. Yeah. It's interesting too. Like you say, it's uh, a a lot of these pieces, they're very contemporary, very modern and, uh, and they're kind of works of, of fine art versus, you know, a, I don't know, a shaker table or something. Like, I, I'm just curious, like your own taste in furniture, you know, what do you have in your house? What do you like to build? That sort of stuff. You know, I, I always say my my design style is kid friendly. Uh-huh. You know, I would love to be more artistic with my builds, but I, I, I like utilitarian furniture that's built well and is appealing to the eye. I have a great affinity for the the arts and crafts movement, mm. uh, stickly and green and green. And, and you know, the quarter sawn oak look is, is always appealing to me visually, but texturally as well. I think it's solid and, and has stood the test of time. And there's something really beautiful about that. You know, I have everything from, like you said, shaker tables to, to Windsor chairs to uh, I got a, I'm looking at a lazy boy recliner here you know, that, that I got after a, a, a small surgery. And my doctor was like, you can't lay down. So I went and bought a lazy boy and I love the damn thing. Yeah. You know, I've got a restoration hardware couch that next to a, a, a Eames chair, uh, Eames recliner. I, I'm, I sort of run the gamut. I like mid-century modern. I love those lines. I think there's something really clean about it. I don't know if I could live in a hundred percent mid-century modern uh, house because it's, Sometimes it's a little stiff and yeah. uncomfortable, yeah. you know, but I can appreciate what they did, you know, and, and I, I'm a big fan of furniture designers. Uh, you know, like I said, like I would, I would love to have a Maloof rocking chair, right. Or a Nakashima uh, slab table. I, I, my, my tastes, you know, go from George Nelson to you name it. Uh, I appreciate it all. I, I did some, 
research the other day just because I was so interested. I was talking about talking to someone about couches and I said, you know, that a couch looks like lips. It's sort of iconic. <laughs> sure, yeah, you know, it's yeah. like the uh, um, and it's been knocked off and made again and again. There's a great story behind that. A reason it was built and, you know, it was based on a Salvador Dali painting of Mae West and the, the way he portrayed her lips and the. Uh, the architect was also a furniture designer, which a lot of te- architects are. And he uh, was uh, had a commission to build a, a gym, basically a, a health club, and built those lips, those iconic lips couches for the the, you know, the juice bar inside the health club, which I thought was so interesting. You know, it's become this sort of paragon of contemporary design, and it was built for a fucking health club. It's yeah. ridiculous. You know, it's so interesting. Right. That's hilarious. Um, yeah. Thinking about too, just sort of going through all these names you just went through and styles and stuff. Like, did you have to do your homework before this show, or was this stuff that was kind of in you? Like, it's a different side of you than people are used to seeing. Yeah, I, I mean, I did a little bit of research prior to going in, just the basics. But I'm pretty well versed. It's a it's a passion of mine. I think not just as a as a tinkerer and a builder and someone who likes to work with wood, but as someone who appreciates craft you know someone who appreciates design i love driving around looking at houses uh, and you know the the gable end of a home and why it was built like that and the eyebrow window and why is it called an eyebrow window and uh, you know the i love different textures and why things work and why they don't and you know god i love the internet man i used to have to buy books (laughs) and I, i still do but you know being able to google you know, what, what makes a colonial house a colonial house and why, and uh, why was a salt box house invented? And, you know, what's the benefit and, you know, what's the benefit of, a, of an A-frame house? And uh, I, I just, I love that sort of stuff. And I, you know, I think knowledge is power and, and the more I know, the, the better person I am. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you about the big leap too, because that was a, uh, that was a show that like when we had last talked, you were kind of stalled in Chicago and no one was sure like if the show could happen or, you know, what the path was, um, you guys have since shot a pilot and uh, got a 10 episode pickup uh, from Fox. So sure. Congratulations. That's, uh, that's Thank awesome you. news. Um, I got to say it's awesome news. Yeah. Tell, tell me about just shooting the pilot and kind of how that all happened. Whew, that was tough. Uh, you know, we, <laughs> this was a, a script that came across my desk. Oh, early 2020 or, or late 19 for pilot season. And I loved it. Uh, my first read, I thought it was, engaging and funny and heartwarming and uplifting. And it was something I wanted to be a part of. And, and unfortunately it was a dance show. Yeah. And I thought like, Christ, I don't want to dance on TV, but my part thankfully doesn't call for me to dance. It's a, it's a show that's based on a, uh, a reality show actually that was shot in Britain where they took 20 unlikely dancers, either people who had wanted to be professional dancers or couldn't because of their weight or their height or their look or they were physically disabled. They were in a wheelchair. And, and this, this reality show took this sort of unlikely group of people and they put on a performance of Swan Lake. Hmm. Uh, and that's basically what our show is. It's the scripted version of that reality show. I play a producer who is putting on this version of Swan Lake. It is an uplifting, feel-good show, which I, I hope and, and believe that the country and the world needs right now after what we've all gone through. But filming it was tough. We, we started filming it in late February in Chicago. Understandably, we were shut down, I think, before we actually got uh, a minute of film shot. Wow. And we were all sent home. When things calmed down a little bit, we went back to try to shoot around December, mid-December of 2020. We got, I don't know, six or seven days of filming. Then someone contracted COVID. We shut the whole production down again. We went back in 
February, I think, and finished the pilot off. So it, you know, it took three different trips to Chicago, three different crews for the most part. Wow. We got it put together. I was able to see a cut of it about a week ago. And Heath, it is fantastic. Oh, I'm yeah. mediocre as usual, but the, <laughs> the, the, the show is phenomenal. And it's, uh, you know, we were laughing and smiling. And my wife at one point, uh, we watched it downstairs in our little makeshift movie theater. My wife at one point reached over and pulled up her sleeve and showed me the goosebumps on her arms. And my kids were crying at the end. Wow. It just feels good. And this, this cast that they put together, a lot of people you've never heard of, some people you have are uh, really all came together and, and made it work. And I'm so excited. And so grateful to Fox for seeing the beauty in it. And uh, the, the writer creator is a woman named Liz Heldens, who's had a lot of success in, in television before. But this, I think, is a, a real tour de force for her and our directors, a guy named Jason Weiner, who uh, was the director of Modern Family among, I think, 14 or 15 other pilots that he's done. So he's had some great success. But this is his first, uh, I think, drama pilot that's been picked up. And, and um, I can't wait for it to get out there and, and to shoot more of it. I'm really excited about it. Aside from having to leave my family for short stretches to go to Chicago. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Nice. Well, I can't wait to see it. It sounds awesome. Thanks, man. Uh, I want to, I want to wrap up by just sort of on that note, I guess, you know, your, your whole history has been in dramas. Um, and now you've done this lifestyle show, which is of course my world. Like, do you have a, do you have a preference or like, do you, do you see yourself doing more lifestyle work down the road? I do see myself doing more, you know, I've got a, a couple projects in the work, some that we're pitching, uh, some that have been and bought uh, and we're in different production stages. Um, I really like it. And I think uh, I've always loved, you know, uh, I say reality television, but, you know, we talk about your history with this old house. And, and you know, I watched I've watched this old house since I was a kid. And then when Bob Vila left, I watched home. Was it home again? Yeah. Yeah, I did that. You know, I've watched all the different hosts. And when HGTV came along, I sort of got into that. And, and I you know, I know it's called reality television now, but I've always been a fan of that kind of stuff. I think it's it's interesting, it's informative, it's educational, and it's it's engrossing. And, and there's a, I think there's it's become a real power player in the world of television. If you look at network television, especially now, but even streaming is getting into it. That programming really has come to dominate mm. and gets ratings consistently. You look at shows that are on the air, and with the exception of. I don't know, Law and Order, you know, SVU or something like that. Christ Survivor and The Amazing Race. These are shows that have gone on for decades, Yeah, you know, as has this old house. And, and they just stand the test of time. And, and if you find the right format, it can really be a boon. And I'm, I'm so excited about the possibility of doing more and finding a way to not just educate. You know, I say that I think of like Dirty Jobs. Do you ever watch Dirty sure. Jobs? Yeah, yeah. I love that show. And it's on in reruns and it goes on and on and on. And it's you know, it's fun and you laugh at it. And you think, oh, that's gross. But there's also you're also learning something when you watch these shows, even with Survivor. You know, people are learning how to make a fire on Survivor. If you're watching Dirty Jobs, you're learning that, wow, that guy who digs up worms makes a good living and actually has a second home. There's an <laughs> opportunity there for people to, I think, maybe think outside the box yeah. uh, to coin a horrible phrase and, and, you know, say, oh, maybe I don't need to follow this path there are other options out there available for me and you know each show has a has a different way of showing something different but i i love that about that that uh, that genre yeah no i i completely agree with that I, i've gotten into uh, the laundry guy on hgtv recently well it's on discovery plus i guess and i interviewed him a couple weeks ago and it's it's a show about a guy teaching you how to do laundry but like i never knew i was doing my laundry the wrong way <laughs> 
just like what? Who knew? I gotta, yeah. I gotta look at this. The it's, laundry guy. Yeah, he's on HGTV and uh, and Discovery Plus, and he's got a book out there that you know it was one of the like they sent me the PDF of the book to read before the interview. And I yeah. was like, okay, cool, you know. Uh, and then I, I wrote back to the publicist and was like, can I actually get a hard copy? Because I feel like this is a book I kind of need on my shelf. It's, you know, stain removal and uh, what detergents and soaps to use. And like his big thing, the, the one thing I've implemented that's great is you use the express cycle on your washing machine. It's, uh-huh. you know, 10, 15 minutes. It uses less water and it's super gentle on your clothes. And you can wash like anything in that. His thing is, you know, your clothes don't need to slosh around for an hour with each other and a bunch of soap and water. Like 15 minutes is usually more than enough. And then, you know, you dry certain things certain ways. And yeah, it's it's wild. I couldn't agree with that more. I think that I'm so happy you say that because I have such... I have strong feelings on this heat. I, <laughs> I, I agree because you think about people washing clothes in the olden days, right? Yeah. They'd have a washboard, they dip it in the water, scrub it with some soap, and then hang it out to dry. Right. Like maybe they spent, you know, a minute, two minutes on each article. My clothes don't need to be in the goddamn washer for 45 minutes. <laughs> they just don't need it. I'm so into that. But that's the thing. Like, there, it's just these different facets of life and expertise that people have that you can learn from. And I love that, man. All right, there we go. Scott Foley. So much fun, as always. Love talking to that guy. Ellen's Next Great Designer is streaming now on HBO Max. The finale episode is up now, so if you want to see how it all ends, you don't have to wait. You can stream the entire series. Check it out. It is a fun furniture competition show, and it's it's a little edgy, which I like, you know? It's, uh, it's the type of show that I wish I had produced. It's really cool looking, really fun, really beautifully shot, but celebrating craft, which I love. The Big Leap is also coming soon to Fox. Check your local listings probably later this fall. New episodes of Quarantine Creatives come out every Thursday. I will be back next week with a brand new show. I'm going to be talking to Jesse Terry. He is a musician that uh, has a new album out, When We Wander. He was a guy who spent 10 years on the road and then obviously coronavirus had him stay home for the last year or so. And uh, he's been trying to deal with that through his music and in his life. And we have a great conversation about that. So make sure you come back next Thursday to check that out. Make sure you hit subscribe in your favorite podcast app and you will be one of the first to get that episode. I also have a newsletter that comes out every Sunday. This Sunday's will recap Scott's episode today. Make sure you go to heathrasella.com and enter your email address to get on that list. I'm at Heath Rosella on Twitter and Instagram. Get the shot if you haven't gotten it yet. Stay safe.